It's good to see you all this morning. I, I'm, I'm thankful um, to the Lord for the turnout. And uh, we changed the services back an hour, not knowing um, how that was going to impact the, the um, crowd, the people that are here. And so um, we have a great turnout this morning. We're glad that you're here. Glad, uh, happy to also be able to be viewed through the video camera for those of you who are watching online. Some will probably watch this week, not uh, maybe early bird people, and so we'll, you'll get a chance to watch this as well. But join me, um, if you would, in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read um, verses 12 down to verse 17, then uh, I'll pray, give an introduction, and then get into the message. Sometimes I struggle with the order of, do I read my text first, give the introduction, then go back to my text? Do I give the introduction, read the text, then... So it's, it's sometimes challenging to know what's the best way of doing it, so I often will just go with it. And so I'm going to read the text this morning, pray, and then uh, give you a little introduction and get into the sermon. The, the Lord says in verse 12 of Hebrews 12, therefore, and we, we always want to remember the, the therefore always points us back to the previous passage of Scripture. So we're, we're building off of the discipline of the Lord, right? We talked about last week, the Lord disciplines us, and that discipline is never meant to feel good. It's always painful, the Lord says. Um, it's always difficult, it's always challenging, but it's also um, a result of God's love for us. It's a result of our um, relationship. It's a relational type of discipline. Um, it's meant to prepare us because we're going to face uh, challenges, right? Life is full of challenges. And we're, what we're dealing with as a culture right now is two or three different really big challenges. We're dealing with some challenges as a church. Life is full of challenges, and what the Lord does is he disciplines us or disciples us to prepare us for that next challenge. Uh, last week we thought of it this way, that like raising up a child, you give, child, you give children certain challenges. And you don't give them big challenges when they're five years old. You give them small challenges, right? Little challenges. And then as they succeed at facing those challenges, then you let them face bigger challenges and, and bigger challenges so that when they get to be 45 years old, they're able to face some of the bigger difficulties in life and not, and not crumble under the pressure of those difficulties. Now, we need, as a church, um, as the people of God, we need to be a people that don't crumble under the pressures of this world. Now, the world needs to be able to look to the church and see a place that is, that is solid in the midst of difficulty. As a matter of fact, that really, what, that really is what distinguishes the church, isn't it? That we are solid, we are stable, we are secure when the world is crumbling under the pressures that, uh, that we all face. We all face them together. So the therefore points us back to the discipline of the Lord. It's important to note that as we go forward. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and just note the, 
the article the before holiness, it's talking about a specific type of holiness. Uh, it's uh, uh, not an action type of holiness, but it's a, an object type of holiness. It's like this kind of holiness, the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, without this holiness, no one is ever going to get into heaven. That's what he's ultimately saying here. You're not going to see God. You're not going to experience him unless you have this holiness. Verse 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and know that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sought his birth, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place or no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to uh, open it up, to learn from your um, wisdom, to discern what your will is, Lord, and, and to, to just draw closer to you during this time, especially with the challenges that we face around us. Please be with us this morning. Please encourage our hearts, strengthen us to receive what you have for us, and then change us um, into the image of Christ. And uh, we'll give you the thanks and praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Run Through the Finish Line. And you see the, the theme of this passage of Scripture is obviously running. The first few verses talk about running with patience, the race um, that is set before us, or the agonizing race. That, that's what we get that word agonized from, that race. is This is an agonizing race that we're running in life. The Lord says to run it with patience and uh, always looking to Jesus. So run through the finish line. In athletic competition, it is not only necessary that you compete well, but it is also necessary that you finish strong, that you finish well. You have a trainer, and a good trainer will be noted for placing the majority of their attention on training you and equipping you to finish. Uh, finishing is the most challenging part of the race because you've run the entire race and now you're tired, you've lost a lot of your energy, and you're coming down to that last piece of the race and, and everything that is within your flesh is saying quit and stop. There must be something within you that keeps you going to get to the finish line, to get through the finish line. Now, most coaches that coach running will tell you you don't run to the finish line, but you run Anybody? You run through the finish line. You don't get to that last few steps and decide that, oh, this is a time for me to relax. You relax after you have crossed through that tape, that finish line tape, and that's when you're able to relax. Again, most coaches will focus in on training an individual to finish. Uh, they will intensify the last 30 minutes or the last hour of a training session knowing that that's going to be the most challenging part for an individual. They also know that competing as an athlete, any athlete can have a great event. But if that athlete cannot finish, then they cannot win. Let me give you a few examples of this. A pitcher 
might be able to pitch eight innings of perfect baseball, but if in the ninth inning he has nothing left and they um, take advantage of that, he will ultimately lose. A boxer can box 14 perfect rounds and get KO'd in the 15th round. I've seen boxers dominate boxing matches for most of the match and not even be able to come into the arena or into the ring the last round because they had nothing left in them. A football player may make an interception in the end zone, run it back 100 yards to the other end zone for a seeming touchdown, but drop the ball one inch in front of the goal line and because of his premature celebration not experience a touchdown. A long-distance runner was noted in 2015. He was running for the Oregon Ducks. He was running in the national championship of the 2015 um, uh, collegiate athletic uh, track meet. Or this was a, uh, more than a track meet. It was like a, uh, what, is those, what are those events called where you do several events? Triathlon. Triathlon something like that. It was something like that. Steeplechase, I think, is what it was called. That's kind of like a triathlon, right? So he was running in the, in the steeplechase, and he, he rounded, the, he rounded the, the last corner. The last part of the steeplechase is a run. He rounded the last quarter of the steeplechase, and you can see it online. He is on the home stretch, running down on the home stretch. He decides about 100 yards out, he decides to kind of glance back to kind of see where his competition is. He looks over his shoulder. He notices that his competition is at least 100 yards behind him. He thinks to himself, this is a great, great time to celebrate, right? So he begins to throw up his hands and get the crowd going. The, the guy behind him notices that this is a great opportunity because he's completely not focused on the race any longer, but he's focused on celebrating. The guy behind him turns it on. He downshifts, if you will, and he runs as fast as he can. And at the finish line, he beats out the Oregon Duck runner. And I tell you something, it's amazing. Look at it, look it up on YouTube. The guy who lost the race looks at the other guy who beat him as if he had done something wrong. He looks at him in like this, this sense of amaze, amazement, like he had cheated. But all he did was he just ran through the finish line, and the Oregon Ducks guy lost. In all my years of watching my children run cross-country and also other track events, I cannot tell you, and I, and I, and I say this seriously because this is, it, it, it's real, I cannot tell you the number of high school athletes that I've watched run great races, have extraordinarily large leads, only to have every muscle in their body cramp up as they're coming down towards the finish line and to, and to crumble before they're ever able to make the finish line, leaving them stranded, having run almost a perfect race, but now they are unable to finish. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a, a, a heart-wrenching sight to see somebody run a race with extraordinary energy and intensity and to pour themselves into running that race and to come around that last corner and I, and I, and I can picture it in my mind and literally to see their legs stop working and they can't move. They cannot make, they cannot take one more step. I've seen guys that have fallen on the ground and tried to roll through the finish line. They had nothing left. Their body was done running and they had nothing left. 
I share these illustrations with you because all of the work, all of the effort, and all of the talent meant little, meant really nothing, because in the end, they could not finish. In the end, they could not run through the finish line. And no one remembers the guy who ran the perfect race and had the 200-meter or 200-yard lead coming around the last curve. Nobody remembers him as much as the guy who passed him and went through the finish line and received the reward. The same is true about the Christian life. The same is true about the life of faith. An individual can run the perfect race. An individual can run the perfect race, but if they can't finish, the running means nothing. According to Hebrews chapter number 12, this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is is pressing in on. He's pressing in on this running of the race, but then in the end, slipping away or falling away from the faith or falling away from, from Christ are falling away from from the gospel, falling away in that last moment. And the author of Hebrews is pressing in and encouraging the, the people of Hebrews not to fall away. That's the theme of the book. Don't fall away. Don't slip away from the faith. Don't give in to the pressures and challenges of this life. We are often challenged in our faith when it comes to facing difficulties and challenges. Your faith is being challenged today. Your faith is being challenged in the face of coronavirus. Our faith is being challenged. It's not our health being challenged. Sure, that's a part of it. But our faith is being challenged. Our faith is being challenged in the face of all the riots and all the stuff that's going on and the protests. Our, that those things are not just physical things. They're spiritual things. They're, there's more to it. God is testing his people. God is trying his people. God is pressing his people a little bit further. According to Hebrews chapter number 12, which we've already looked at, finishing well starts with three things. I'm going to give you these things. We'll get into our text here in just a few minutes. Three things that are necessary for you to finish well. You have to start, number one, with a belief that the life of faith is the winning way. He starts off in Hebrews 11, really, but kind of carries it through to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. You have to believe that the life of faith is the way. You have to accept and acknowledge that it is the best path. It's not the easiest path, but it is the best path. It is really the only path, isn't it? The life of faith is the only path that is going to ultimately end up in eternal blessing. So we have to acknowledge, if you're here this this morning, you have to accept, to begin the race, you have to accept that the life of faith is the right way. It's the winning way. It's the winning way. We have to accept, number two, We have to believe that God disciplines us to prepare us because he loves us and cares for us. If you don't, first of all, accept that the life of faith is the winning way, and number two, accept that the pain that comes along with faith is for our good, is for our good, it's for our training, it's to make us and prepare us and equip us to being what we ought to be, we, if we don't acknowledge that the discipline that we go to is because God loves us and cares for us, we'll not persevere to the end. We'll not run through the finish line. We might not even run to the finish line. We must believe, number three, that the end is going to be difficult. The end is, is the end of the race the easiest part of the race or the hardest part of the race? It's the hardest part of the race, isn't it? 
The Lord even says at the end of chapter number 12, he says, in the end, I'm going to shake the whole world. I'm going to shake the world again. And those that are unstable and those that are unsure of their faith and those that are not solid in their faith, they're going to fall off. They're going to fall off the sides. But those who are stable and solid, they're going to remain, they're going to remain true and they're going to remain sure. We have to acknowledge that the end is going, it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder, it's going to get more difficult. There's going to be more challenges to the church of Jesus Christ. We're not just going to be pressed into an alleyway to have church on Sundays, but we're going to be pressed in other ways. We're going to be pushed out of our comfort zones. Listen, this is not a bad thing, this is a good thing. The church needs to be pressed out of its comfort zone. The church needs to be pressed into places where they have to take a stand for Jesus Christ again. We have lived a comfortable Christianity for so long that we can no longer live in that comfortable Christianity. It's impossible to live in the faith and to live in a comfortable Christianity. We must believe that the end is going to be more difficult than the, than the beginning. We must persevere. Only those in Scripture who persevere win. That is really a theme, not just of one little section of Scripture. That is really a theme of all of Scripture. It is not just that you enter into a relationship with Christ and therefore you're secure forever. I get that and I believe that. But there's a perseverance that is, that is expected of all those who believe. Matter of fact, there's not only a perseverance expected, there is a, a, a recognition that those who do not persevere, there's a, there's, a, there's a recognition in Scripture that there's a likelihood that they were never, never in the faith. Perseverance is not an option to the faith. It is a part of the faith. It's a part of it. You don't enter into a faith life, which is a persevering life, and say, I'm not going to persevere in a persevering life. You might have missed the point of faith. Belief that the end is going to be more difficult than the beginning, and only those who persevere will win. God is going to shake the earth God is going to shake the heavens according to the end of chapter number 12. And when he shakes the earth and shakes the heavens, he is going to separate the real from the fake. He is going to separate the sheep from the goats. He is going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate the stable from those who are wavering. God is going to do a separating work at the end of this life, isn't he? And those who stand, and those who are stable, and those who are resilient, and those who are remaining, those are the ones who will be identified as the children of God. It doesn't make them the children of God because they remain. They will be identified as the children of God because they remain. And those who do not remain, when the earth shakes, when God allows or causes an earthquake of, of astronomical proportions, and not talking about earthquaking maybe physically, but I'm talking about the earthquaking spiritually, and, and quote-unquote professing Christians start falling off the wayside because it's no longer pleasurable anymore, we will see who the real Christian and the real church is. This is something that God has prophesied all throughout Scripture with the wheat and the tares and the, and the, and the, the goat and the sheep, and it's all throughout Scripture's. He's going to separate these, and those who persevere will be eternally blessed. Let me read to you out of Revelation 21, the very end of the Word of God, the almost last chapter. Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8 says, The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen? 
And that's encouraging, isn't it? The one who conquers, and if you read the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, every one of them it says this, if you conquer, if you conquer, if you conquer. And every one of the stipulations, if they conquer, is not temporary, it's eternal. Every time he says, if you don't conquer, you will receive not an eternal blessing, but you will receive an eternal condemnation. Conquering is a part of the Christian life. He says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. He will be, I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the fearful and the faithless and the detestable and as for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the persevering, the conquering faith. This is real faith. This is authentic faith. God is not saying that you enter into the faith and you leave the faith. God is saying that some people don't enter into the faith or they create their own faith that is created in their own minds of a God that they like that kind of fits their little program and they never truly enter into the faith. We've got to remember this, folks. Entering into the faith is not about entering into your program and bringing God along with you. It's about entering into his program. The rich young ruler was more than happy to bring God along with his program. The rich young ruler was not willing to enter into God's program. And a lot of us would love to bring God into our program because he makes things better, but God is not about being in our program. Listen, folks, you're not God. He is. We have the privilege of joining into his team, not he has the privilege of joining into our team. Those who conquer, those who overcome, those who have this faith that is, that is a powerful faith, the presence of Christ living within us, these are going to be the ones who persevere, and these are going to be the ones who make it when the earth shakes. The earth is shaking right now, folks, but it's not shaking as much as it's going to. It's not as bad as it's going to get. If we're crumbling now, what is going to happen when the world really shakes? I mentioned last week, what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes on the scene and says you can't have any health care, you can't have any health, you can't go to the doctor, and you can't buy food, and you can't buy water, and you can't purchase anything, and you can't have any comforts unless you get 666 on your forehead or hand. Where are we going to be at? I mean, I pray and I believe because of the rapture that we'll be gone, but there will be believers here during that time. Where are they going to be at? I tell you where they'll be at, they'll either be living a life of faith or they'll be getting the mark. But we're in a situation right now where we're pressed a little bit and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get those comforts back. This is, not this is, this is failing at preparation for the harder times. And they're coming. And they may come during our lifetime. They may come before the rapture happens. If they do, I just wonder if we'll be ready. Listen, let's, we're going to get into our text this morning. S somebody give me what time is it right now? Okay, all right, here we go. All right, listen to me. This is such a beautiful picture, and I'm going to wrestle and work through it as quickly as I can. This is a beautiful picture of a coach. I can, I can, I can express this because I used to be there. I can remember, like yesterday, having one of our kids running around the last corner, and I can remember as a coach running right there beside them and then yelling out all of these different instructions. You guys have seen it before, haven't you? 
It is that last moment, isn't it? It is at the edge. It is at the brink. All of their strength is gone. All of their energy is gone. Everything is gone. And they are running, and they are running with all they have left. And then there's that coach there beside them saying, here's some instructions. Because you're not going to make it through that finish line. And you're not going to win this race unless you follow these instructions. That's exactly what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. God is our coach. And we're running this race of life. And we're tired our arms are drooping, our knees are wavering and weary. We have nothing left to give. We're starting to fade. We notice the guy behind us is starting to catch up with us in the Christian life and the, the, the challenges of the life of faith are starting to get to us and it's just becoming too difficult and too challenging. And then we notice running next to us is our coach. The Holy Spirit is running next to us. He's our, he's our comforter. He's our guide. He is there to encourage us. And I mean, I can literally picture this coach just yelling. I, I, I wish I could... I wish I could express it better than I can. But I mean, I'm serious. This coach is just passionately running along beside their, their, their runner and just, just, just yelling out these things. Listen, keep your arms up. Lift your arms up. Lift your knees up. Run with, run with your strength and run with your muscles. That's what's exactly what's happening here. Run straight. Don't, don't, don't waver into other people's lanes. He's giving, them, giving this runner these instructions so he can make it to the finish line. And he can win. And that's what, he, that's what he desires for us. I love I loved the, I, loved the I, I think the passion of God's heart to get his people through the finish line here. We see God's heart that we win, that we make it, that we don't stop up early. We don't, we don't, we don't fold right before the, the end zone. We don't celebrate a little bit too early and drop the football on the one-inch line, right? We don't raise our hands because we're 100 yards ahead of everybody else, but we just keep on running and pressing, because the end of the race is going to be difficult. The things that the coach, the Lord, coaches in this passage of Scripture are sixfold. Let me just give them to you, and we'll walk through them very quickly. Number one, he says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. The first thing that the Lord tells them, and I, I, can, I can picture it again. I mean, there are two things that happen when a runner starts getting tired. Their arms go down at their side, and their knees start to wobble, Right? All of the pressure in that moment leaves their muscles and it goes to their joints. They start to run with their knees instead of their leg muscles. And that is why it talks about when your knees, uh, to, to allow those things that are hurt to heal and not to be taken out of joint. In other words, not to get worse. So what he's telling them in this moment of despair, in this moment of of, of, of uh of weakness, of frailty, he's telling them, lift your hands, correct your form, get the structure back down, reset your technique. If you're going to finish strong, you have to have the right technique. The runner must lift his hands, the runner must lift his knees, and, I, and again, I can remember with my own kids uh, telling them in practice, lift your knees, press your knees, run with your knees, because that's the proper form. The only way you're going to win is by running effectively with your knees up and not down. In the same way with your arms, you run with your arms. You put the pressure on the muscles of the arms and not on the joints. That's helping you, helping you run with your muscles. With your legs, it's the same thing. When you put the pressure on your joints, they begin, you begin to wobble and you begin to become unstable. When you put the pressure on your muscles, you can run effectively and win. Fatigue is often seen first in the hands and then in the knees. 
And we also notice, I mentioned earlier, that once we begin to experience fatigue, we often then take the pressure of that fatigue and place it where it doesn't belong. In other words, the pressure that's meant to be on our muscles becomes pressure that's then placed on our joints. So what the, what the Lord says in his instruction here, first and foremost, is reset your, reset your technique in other words, put the pressure in the life of faith on the things that the pressure belongs on. Put the pressure in the life of faith on the things that the pressure belongs on. It is on, meant to be on your muscles. That means trust as you walk through your life of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the truth of the Holy Scriptures, in our prayer life, in our church life. Matter of fact, Hebrews 10.25 says, as you see the Lord's return getting closer, he says, make, the, make your church life even more significant. We need to reset these things. Reality of it is, life has gotten difficult, right? And the thing that we've experienced is, is that Christians are running on their joints. And their joints are not meant to hold them up. Their joints are not meant to, meant to cause them to persevere. Their joints, are getting, their joints are getting weak and they're getting wobbly and they're almost out of joint. But praise the Lord, they're not out of joint yet. The only way to reassure your joints is to, is to take the pressure that you're putting on your joints and put it back on your, put it back on your muscles. That's what he's saying here. Lift your knees. Put the pressure back on your muscles. There are things in the Christian life that God has provided that are meant to cause you to persevere. There are things that are in the Christian life that are not meant to cause you to persevere. Take your pressure off of those things. Listen, some things that we put the pressure on when we get tired. Philosophies, opinions, intelligence, our ability to control the situation, right? These things are not meant to get us through, are they? Is your ability to control the situation going to get you through the finish line when it comes to life of faith? Is it? It's not. It is, it is an area that you will put your faith in that in the end will be out of joint. And you will not. You will be like those runners that crumble right before the finish line because you placed your faith in that which was not meant to bear the pressure of your faith. Cultural standards, propaganda, a number of, I mean, and we could go on and on and on on things that we put our, put our weight on as we run the Christian life that are not meant to bear the pressure. We must get the pressure back on the muscles, the finished work of Christ, and I mentioned them already, but reset your, reset your form. Reset how you're running the race of the Christian life. Listen, we have been lulled into this uh, passive Christianity, and now we're facing difficulty, and all this difficulty is doing is exposing that we're running on our joints. So what do you do when you're exposed? you got two laps to go, and all of a sudden you notice that your knees are starting to get tired. What do you do? Well, you either keep running on your joints and you don't make it to the end, or you change your form. What we need to do is change our form. We need to get back to the basics of the Christian life. We need to place energy on studying the Word of God, having a solid prayer life, being in God's house when the doors are open, enjoying the fellowship and the benefit of God's people as we ought to be. These are not, these are not, these are not optional things in the Christian life, folks. These are absolutely necessary things to the Christian life. You don't make it to the finish line without the fellowship of believers, without the fellowship of the Word, and without fellowship with God through prayer. You don't make it 
We need to make it. God cares that we make it. It's not insignificant that we don't make it. We must make it. We must, number one, reset our, reset our form. Number two, remain in your lane. He says, make your path straight. It just literally means to stay in your lane. Don't, don't swerve in and out of other people's lanes. What happens when you start swerving in other people's lanes? Well, in some races, you get disqualified from the race because you're not running according to the rules. In other cases, you get confused as to what lane is your lane. And then lastly, you get tripped up. Listen to what the Lord says in 2 Timothy 2, verses 4 and 5. No, no soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he completes, competes according to the rules. What is he saying here? He's saying stay in your lane. Don't, don't get lost or, 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 or distracted by what every, everything that's going on around us. You know, lane one is my running lane. Lane two is coronavirus. Lane three is the political problems that are going on. Lane four is this and lane five is this. And what happens is, is lane one is, is the gospel. But we got coronavirus over here. We got this over here. We got this, and we're swerving in and out of lanes. Here's what he says. If you're going to finish, you've got to keep your focus on Christ. You've got to keep your focus on what's in your lane. What matters is the gospel. This is a great gospel moment for us. We've got to stay in our lane, not get, not get distracted by the civilian affairs, civilian pursuits, but stay in our lane. The lanes that we should avoid, religious lanes such as good works, religious ceremonialism, personal sacrifice, religious, religious relics, financial lanes of where am I at financially, political lanes of where we're, we lose sight of where we're supposed to be. Listen, one of the greatest tools of the devil is not to necessarily move us away from Christ, but it's to distract us from Christ. To throw everything in the world it can at us so that we no longer think about the work of Christ. He says, number one, reset your form. Number two, remain in your lane. And number three, reach for a worthy prize. He says this in verse number 14, strive for peace. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Listen, here's what he says. He says, strive for Christ. What does Christ represent? Christ represents peace and he represents holiness, doesn't he? Christ represents peace. You go back to Isaiah when he's going to be prophesying of his birth. It says that he is the prince of peace. Christ represents peace with God, peace with man, and Christ represents holiness. This is what our pursuit must be. We must pursue something. Listen, if your Christian life is in pursuit of something other than Christ, the pursuit will be so small that when you face difficulties, you'll never endure. What you're pursuing must be bigger than you. It must be bigger than the pain that you're facing. It must be bigger than the challenges that you face. It must be bigger than, the, than, than all of these things. It must be bigger. What you're pursuing must be bigger or you will never make it through the finish line. You've got to have something in your life that's bigger than you. And that's what you have to pursue. And listen to me, folks. For the life of faith, it is, it is Christ. He is our pursuit. It's a beautiful thing. Christ is our pursuit. Christ is our reward. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, every athlete exercises himself, exercises self-control in all things that 
And they do it, some do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. And then Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press to make my own, to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 14, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in God, or, uh, of God in Christ Jesus. We've got to press for the right goals, folks. It's not about comfort. It's not about greater riches or greater wealth. It's not about having a good day or having happiness in your life. It's about having Christ. It's about having Him. That's what matters. That's what our pursuit should be. And it's the pursuit of that great Great is thy faithfulness, that great God that we just mentioned that gets us to the end. Now, three last things that we should avoid in this race. Listen to what he says. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. It's a beautiful picture of somebody running the race in the spiritual realm, running this life of quote-unquote faith, and then they get around that last corner, or they get close to the end, and they just decide, you know something, I'm just going to quit. And we've seen that before in races too. It's like they, they can't make it to the end, so they just walk off the race. They walk off the track or they walk off the field. He says, see to it, meaning pay emphasis on the fact that, on the, on the idea, the concept that nobody falls short of the grace of God. And there are three things that he tells you that will keep you from reaching that goal. Okay? And I believe that we all are going to find that these things hit home with us. Number one, he says that the root of bitterness, that, that no root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. The first hindrance to us running through the finish line is bitterness. We're angry at somebody who hindered us or harmed us. They did something wrong to us when we were small or when we were young. And we still hold a, a, an anger towards them. We still have a problem with them. There's still bitterness there. They, they wronged us and they deserve this. They deserve our attitude towards them. This will hinder us from reaching the, the goal. It will hinder us from running through the finish line. He says, let no root of bitterness grow up inside of you. You've been there before. You, you, can't run. you can't run well if you're constantly thinking about all the people who hindered you in, the life, in life. Oh, my coach didn't give me all the right techniques. and You're running the race of life, right? And you're thinking about all the things the coach didn't do for you. No, you're in the race. Run. And run all. Run that you might win the prize. Bitterness springs up inside of us Bitterness springs up inside of you and it keeps us from reaching the, reaching the end. That's why he tells us in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ will or has forgiven you. I've often said it before, before, and I think it recently my wife mentioned it. Bitterness is a poison that you swallow hoping somebody else dies. Bitterness will only keep you from experiencing God's grace. Bitterness will only keep you from experiencing God's goodness. Bitterness will only keep you from experiencing the things that you need to experience. Watch what he says here. He goes on. First of all, bitterness or pride. I put pride Bitterness and pride will keep us from reaching the end. Listen to what he says here. 
that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. You guys remember the story back in Genesis. Esau comes off the field. He's been working. He's been hunting. He's been, he's been laboring. He's hungry. He even says that he was so hungry that he thought he was going to die. How many of us have made decisions that have totally thwarted our faith because we thought we were going to die? That's what he says. That's what he says. Esau made a decision thinking that he was going to die that totally undid his faith. Isn't, that, isn't the idea of protecting life the one thing that will move us out of faith faster than anything else? That's what he says here. He says Esau, you go back to Genesis 24, 25, Esau came off from work, was so hungry, he thought he was going to die, he sold his eternal birthright. And he, he says for a bowl, and I like how Piper says it, for a bowl of cereal. I mean, this is not small stuff, folks. He who will save his life will lose it. But he who will lose his life for my sake and for the Gospels will save it. This is not my words. These are the words of our Lord. These are God's words. Listen, there's no time in the, race of the, in, in the life of faith for us to, to, to veer off for a bowl of cereal. And it's interesting that he uses sexual immorality here because that's what most people veer off for nowadays, isn't it? It's for pleasure of some kind. There's no place in the race of life if we're going to get through and win. There's no place to turn around the, that last curve and say, you know something, there's some, there's some nice little treats over here. I think I'll stop and have a few treats and then I'll finish the race. You won't finish the race. You'll be stuck with those treats. And those treats will do you no good. It's true, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? And we can, sexual immorality is what he uses here, but for him it was a bowl of stew, he was afraid of dying, comfort, security, all of these things will move us away from trusting the Lord. If the world can give us an alternative, if Satan can give us an alternative way to be in control and to feel safe and comforted, we'll take it. But folks, it will be at the expense of your faith. The Lord wants us to make through. So what's he yelling at us? He's yelling, he's yelling, he's yelling at us. Don't be bitter at your components. Don't be angry at your opponents that are running beside you. But he's also saying, don't get, don't get off track with some of these things that are going on, these pleasures, these comforts, this security. Don't get lost in those things. The second thing is pleasure, security. And the last thing I think is, is equally important. If you're running the, the race of life and you're going to make it to the end, listen to what he says here. For you know that after Esau had sold his birthright, it's his eternal right to things that were super important and significant. He sold his birthright. He says afterwards, he desired to inherit the blessing but he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The last thing this morning is, is presumption. We must avoid presumption. That guy running around that race, he looked behind him, he saw the other guy, he presumed that he had, he lost. He presumed in every way in his mind that I have won this race. This race is over. He lost. 
Esau thought, bowl of cereal? God's not going to take away my eternal birthright for a bowl of cereal? Yes, he is. No, and God didn't take it away from him. Esau sold it. It was not his any longer. Don't presume on God. Esau sought repentance. He sought to find repentance, to find a way to get back. There was no way to get back. Don't presume, folks, that tomorrow is going to offer you a chance to go the other direction. Go the other direction today. Don't presume that tomorrow is going to offer you an opportunity to repent. Repent now. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time, is what the scriptures tell us. Let me read to you one last scripture, and I'm going to close with this. Matthew 16, verse 26 says this, what will, it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And this, I believe, can be pictured right back to Esau. Esau sold his soul for a bowl of cereal. We're running a difficult race. There are challenges. Along the way, the devil is going to throw everything he can at us so that we will sell our faith for something. We will sell out our faith. And it's easy to do, especially in the midst of challenges. I want to run along beside of you this morning like Jesus, like God, I think, presents here. And I want to say to you, reset your form. Lift your knees, lift your arms, run like you know how to run. Reset your form. Put the weight on the muscles. Put the weight on God. Put the weight on Jesus. They and he will be the only ones who will get you through. As you're running, make sure that you stay in your lane. Make that shortest path to the goal, to the finish line, and keep reaching for the finish line that matters. And avoid those things that are going to keep you from accomplishing what God has for you. Those things that are going to cost you your faith. Let's pray together. Lord, help us, I pray, to run the race well. Lord, to run hard. To run trusting. To run in dependence on what you have done and accomplished. But Lord, help us not to fall short. Help us not to veer off track. Help us not to round that final turn and to think, ah, I'm just too tired. I'm too, too weary. This is too hard. I just have to have something to get me through and to throw the faith away and to take something that is less than, that will never get us through, but it's a disguise. It's a deception that promises to get us through, but it will actually be that which keeps us from. Lord, help us to learn from Esau. Help us to learn from this example given to us in Hebrews. Help us to learn, Lord God, from your love and compassion to prepare us to face the challenges of this life. Lord, may we stand strong and give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen.